Welcome to the Be Well at USAS podcast. My name is Peter Headley. Each week, members of the USAS community will join me to share ideas and provide guidance on all aspects of being well. And we'll be highlighting campus initiatives and resources designed to engage and support you. In these challenging times, we hope the ideas and information we share will help. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Dr. John Matic, the senior physician at the USAS Student Wellness Center. We're going to be talking about the medical response to COVID-19, the potential for a second wave as the province begins to reopen, and the ways in which we can continue to be mindful about keeping ourselves and one another safe and healthy. We also talk about some of the ways in which family physicians can support student mental health. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for the invite. So can you start off telling me about your role at the Student Wellness Center and the work that you and the physician team typically do to support students? I've been affiliated with the uh, Student Wellness Center for the last 10 years. Um, Pretty lucky to work there. It's a really neat environment. Uh, Asking about what the role the family doctors do to help students. So we're their family doctor. Um, Certainly whether it's diabetes, sprains, um, sexual health or mental health. Now certainly our clinic is unique in that we see a lot of mental health. We're affiliated with the counseling. Um, there's been a lot of change over the last couple of years to, to give us better ways to cope with the, uh, the number of individuals coming in. Um, so yeah, there's, there's been a lot of changes to the clinic over the last couple of years. And like I said earlier, the, uh, the family doctors are there to support students in any capacity. It's a unique population compared to the average family doctor. Family doctor tenant is developing a relationship with the individual and carrying them on. And in kind of the typical family med clinic, you might know someone 10, 20, 30 years. I like to think of our role more like an incubator where we meet these individuals who just came out of high school. We will support them for four or six years and then help support them for their next phase in life. So we're obviously living in strange and uncertain times right now. Can you tell me about how the physician team at the Wellness Center has changed its practices and and how that's been going? Because usually you would be sitting somewhere in Place Royale right now and you're obviously sitting at home. Yeah, so certainly missing the fourth floor. Um, We've been there the last uh, eight, nine years now. Yes, family medicine's definitely changed their model and true for entire province, entire country. So now we're doing virtual care. Um, at the moment, uh, the clinic is closed. Hopefully in the future, that'll that situation will change. But in the meantime, the care that the family doctors and the team are providing are uh, virtual, so telemedicine, so uh, telephone calls, video support. And yeah, it's definitely changed the nature of of the visits with patients. So certainly some things are quite amenable to it. So any uh, mental health, um, certain skin conditions, continuing ongoing health care um, certainly is, is pretty feasible. Um, and in situations where if it's an issue with a newborn, if it's an issue with prenatal care or certain types of contraception that may have to be seen in person, those individuals uh, will direct to um, partners in the community who can provide that care at the moment. But I think the message is that they should continue to access services as they've always have. It's just it's a rather different delivery model right now. Very different delivery model. And yeah, certainly there are some people who think, oh, I don't want to bug the family doctor. They're busy right now. 
in fact, we're actually seeing a lot of people not wanting to to bother us, and that's um, definitely not the message that Family Medicine wants to put out. Definitely, we want to support students in our best capacity, and so we do encourage people to reach out, whether it's for a new issue or whether it's for ongoing issue that they've been working with their family doctor. So can we talk a little about the science and medical response to covid In simple terms, what is it about this particular virus that makes it so radically different and and in in a way dangerous um, from what we've encountered before? Yeah. So certainly historically, there's been examples like this before. About uh, 15, 20 years ago, there was SARS, which was also another type of uh, coronavirus. That one was different in that, although certainly it would hurt people quite significantly. It wasn't quite as contagious, and this one is definitely more contagious. The, the messaging from the health region is that um, you've probably heard about this message of flattening the curve, trying to limit the number of people who may pick up this infection. Because the concern is that the people who pick it up, not necessarily everyone will get significantly sick, but more people than normal would get quite sick to the point where they may need quite significant help in the hospital, ventilation, intubation, whatnot. And if it all happens at once, the concern is that can overload the healthcare system, that the physicians and nurses in the hospital are overwhelmed. And so the idea of the flattening out the curve is trying to slow down the transmission and hence all these measures of um, social distancing, of uh, avoiding large crowds, of staying home, um, trying to slow down that transmission to a level that the healthcare system can more easily uh, deal with it. Now, at the time of this recording, we're already a well, well into the month. We've already seen the initial peak kind of come up and down in, in Saskatchewan. Um, and so certainly we are showing that the social distancing, the um, hand washing, the uh, being careful with large crowds is definitely making a difference in making these numbers more, more manageable for the healthcare system. And so with that, um, as you mentioned, as, as the numbers go down and spring and summer arrives, there's lots of talk and planning, and including from the government, about reopening the province and a return to quote-unquote normality. Um, and this obviously will mean that people returning to their work environments, to stores that have been closed, opening up again, and all of which will lead to greater person-to-person proximity as we're seeing across the world as different places open. Can you share some thoughts about the practicalities of what the risks look like in reality um, and the potential for what's being described as a second or even third wave of the pandemic? Yeah, so certainly um, I believe the premier had made the reference of uh, uh, this isn't turning a light switch on or off. This is uh, adjusting a dimmer. And so the idea is to slowly open things up, so to speak. So with this kind of uh, various phases of the government put out in how the province is going to slowly open up, the idea of, you know, allowing uh, people to start coming together. Some provinces are talking about the double bubble model, where basically you kind of pick one or two other people or maybe another family that you can actually start hanging out with. Again, you don't want to rush into it because the whole key is to try to limit transmission, keep the numbers down. And so certainly, again, this kind of um, slow, gradual reintroduction into work. So again, not going into large crowds, maybe interacting with one or two other people outside of your current bubble, so to speak. Because certainly a one case in a place that's not appropriate, like a nursing home, like certain environments, that can that can be really problematic. And so again, just kind of going with the low and slow. Again, with our population, we're looking at a university population, so generally healthy, generally well. But again, we want to help um, those individuals protect other people in the population as well. 
And I was talking to Sarah Sopved from the student life team, and we were discussing the idea of, you know, still several hundred students in residences and why there's such a great need to to continue to follow the rules, whether they're in inside the building or outside the building. Mm-hmm. So can you share some thoughts on the ways that people can continue to be mindful about the spread of the virus and, and what they should do if they start to experience some symptoms? That's a two-part question. So I'll I'll answer the second part first with what do they, what should they do if they feel like they're having symptoms? So symptoms again include fever, cough, headache, aches, pains, sore throat, chills. So all the things that seem like the flu. And in most people, it'll be a simple flu. If you're worried about that, um, either contact your family physician. Um, they can go over the symptoms with you or contact the health line at 811. Certainly, I, I tested the phone, so to speak, yesterday. The wait list or the wait time is much shorter now. Um, so it's a lot easier to get a hold of them. The current healthcare model is that if there's a concern that uh, someone could have COVID, rather than introducing it into a clinic or, or somewhere else, there are actual uh, specific test sites that you can be sent to with a referral either from 811 or your family doctor. There's also the self-assessment tool you can find on the Saskatchewan.ca website. Um, If it looks likely that you may have it, they do talk about um, self-isolation, so staying in a location, um, trying to minimize contact with others. Your earlier question about students living in, in residence, um, certainly that can be a tricky situation. Again, um, Lots of hand washing, uh, careful how you're sneezing, doing you know the uh, cough into the elbow type thing. Um, again, um, maintaining social distancing. So certainly you can be around people as long as you maintain six feet or, or two meters between people and just trying to keep small groups, you know, trying to minimize the size of groups. It certainly can be more challenging in, in larger buildings, but you know, with careful hygiene, careful hand washing, being mindful, uh, avoiding touching your face and whatnot, you can definitely decrease and limit the chance of transmission. And we've and we've shown that it's making a difference. We know that um, Saskatchewan's been phenomenal in keeping the numbers down because of people following those recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's just that balance, isn't it? Um, and you mentioned about the sort of the you know the dimmer switch analogy for sure. I I think up till now there's been a certain healthy level of fear, and we 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 and I mean that in a good way. My wife and I had a conversation about. Uh, we're after Scott Moe or the Premier's comments on the, whatever it was, Thursday, uh, Wednesday or Thursday evening, we suddenly saw more people out and about and on the roads that weekend. And so I think it is for us to continue to be mindful. And as you say, to continue to follow all these practices that have worked up up till now. Mm-hmm. So shifting focus a little bit, and I think you mentioned uh, this is, at the beginning, last week was Mental Health Week, which has obviously had a rather different meaning this year um, compared to other years. But um, one of the things that I'm aware of, and, and you mentioned, was the significant amount of uh, work, uh, caseload work that nurses and, and the family physician team at the Wellness Centre have related to mental health. I wonder if you can talk a little about what change you've seen in student mental health in the last decade. Um, and I think I particularly mean the increase in in, in your caseload during the course of your time and, and any observations that, that you'd make about what, what could be behind this change. That's a really good question. A lot of things have changed um, over the last decade. Certainly, we're seeing more presentation of mental health among among 
student youth. Certainly the clinic itself has changed a lot. The clinic used to be uh, just comprised of family physicians and nurses. Now we've always historically had a great connection with psychiatric service and so we've always been strong in that area but it's definitely grown stronger over the past decade. Uh, counseling was a service on its own. That's been amalgamated. There's been a, a, a great creation of an intake service. So in the old days, uh, they would easily reach capacity and would have to redirect patients. That's um, at least five years ago, if not longer. And now they have capacity to, to welcome anyone coming to the door and helping them find what they need. Not necessarily a doctor or a nurse or a counselor, but just offering advice of, of if something is frustrating them or, or problematic for them, where they can go for help. Um, so certainly just the way the clinic is working has really changed. In regards to the change of number of people presenting with mental health issues, there has been documented increase in depression anxiety among young people coming from the teenage years entering university. It's likely multifactorial. It's difficult to say why. Could it be the fact that we're acknowledging mental health better now? Could it be that we have better tools for assessment? Is it the fact that there's less stigma compared to a decade ago? Those are probably contributing factors. And certainly um, we are seeing uh, challenges among students who, who just find that coming out of high school, going into university, new environment, that the resources, that the, the system that used to work for them, whether it's their family or friends, um, has changed. And so they can be struggling quite a bit. And so fortunately, again, the clinic has been just blessed with assistance of lots of different uh, team members, whether that's counseling, family physicians, whatever, coming together to help support students in that situation. So we are seeing an increase in those types of patients, but we're also seeing a increase in the care that's provided. And I know when we look at the figures, I think four of the five top reasons for visits to family physicians at the Wellness Centre are, are mental health related now. And so what are some of the ways in which family physicians can support student mental health? And I'm, I'm thinking particularly about your training to diagnose certain mental health conditions and disorders and the prescription of medication. So I, I kind of joke that family doctors deal very well with the medication aspects and so not necessarily everyone with a mental health concern like depression or anxiety necessarily needs medication. Um, but that individual probably needs a family doctor. And so not just the mental illness, but for whatever else family issue that comes up, we can address with that. Certainly um, with our experience of seeing uh, uh, this topic commonly, we have a lot of experience prescribing medication for those who, uh, when we talk and offer management, that patients are, are thinking, yes, that's a good option for me. So certainly depression, anxiety, a lot of people find benefit with medication with that. Um, we have a real interest in ADHD. We've actually in the past have run support uh, group and education series. And so uh, we frequently see a lot of diagnosis and management of that. That's not necessarily something every family physician is comfortable with. But at our clinic, again, because of the volume, we're, we're a lot more comfortable with it. And certainly we're fortunate enough to work closely with the psychiatrist so that even if there are more complicated scenarios, addiction, um, schizophrenia, things like that, we can quickly get advice from the psychiatrist in a care team model where we can actually get care delivered to the patient sooner rather than kind of having them wait in the older models where, you know, you see a family doctor and they wait a number of months before you could see a psychiatrist. And now we can actually get actual clinical information from the specialist that can help support the family doctor in that time. 
And I knew you mentioned sort of ADHD in particular, and I guess it's worth stressing with that team model also includes, uh, often includes access and equity services at the university. I wonder if you could just comment upon that relationship. That's right. Sorry. Yes, that's a really important one as well. So students who uh, are diagnosed with a medical disorder can get access for uh, accommodation. So uh, they bring the form in, the family doctor is happy to fill it out. Um, whether it's for physical concern or whether it's for mental health concern, the forms can be filled out. That's one other role that the family doctor can do to, to help support a student when they're, when they're in crisis. School is already tough enough with just regular school. If you already have this cognitive burden of whether it's a physical or mental health ailment, it makes it that much harder to succeed academically. And so it just makes sense to try to give them every tool possible to succeed. And so for, uh, let's say, students from outside of um, the city or the province or even students who are traveling internationally, um, what are some of the considerations when they first arrive? Um, can they can they just come and see you straight away? Do you simply become their, their family doctor? How, how does that work? So if a individual comes into the clinic, if they've never had a family doctor before, we automatically will accept them. There's no question. The especially true for international students. They're the ones who um, sometimes have additional challenges because they've never encountered Canadian healthcare before, let alone seeing a family physician. In terms of kind of students coming from town, certainly if they have a family doctor, we encourage them to continue that care model. Although certainly we also have the occasional student who kind of goes, you know what, that's my parents' doctor. I've never really been comfortable. I think I'm comfortable seeing someone new now in this new stage of life. I'd like to get my own doctor and and happy to welcome those students as well. Um, for students coming in from other provinces, we do encourage them to bring their old health records and medications when they do come to our clinic. And again, it depends on what the reason is. If it's more kind of general family med uh, issues, thyroid medication, diabetic medication, whatnot, they can certainly come and see us right away. If they are coming in with mental health concerns, we do like to set them up with kind of the whole team at the clinic. And so there is the intake service who can get them hooked up both with the family doctor and a counselor if indicated. And so as far as a health card goes, they will need to apply for a Saskatchewan health card. That'll be necessary, but you can um, serve them whilst they're waiting to receive that. While they're waiting for the health card, we can still provide services to, to help them uh, with what they need. Yeah. So one of the confusions that people sometimes make is that they can't access the wellness center if they're not part of the health and dental plan, which is offered by the USSU. But of course, that's it's not related. It's actually uh, related to the student wellness and services fee that they pay as part of their registration at the university. Yeah, that that's definitely a bit confusing. So lately, people keep using this word unprecedented, but but it isn't really, though, is it, John? We just we do have to look back about a hundred years to to show that this isn't unprecedented. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely this has happened before, and this is this is probably going to keep happening in the sense of every every several generations. The one talk I went to talked about this is an event that hasn't happened until maybe our grandparents or great grandparents. Certainly, analogies to the Spanish flu 1917 are pretty strong. That was devastating. The one reference I read talked about 12 million dead. Now, this is in the context also of World War One, and so it's difficult. Countries wouldn't want to admit they were losing large portions of their population. So again, data is hard to get. And again, it was complicated in the fact that a lot of those deaths were probably secondary to malnutrition, poor socioeconomic status, like a lot of things made things complicated. And so, you know, it is a very concerning time at the moment. But when we look at the Spanish flu, they, they documented at least 12 million deaths, if not more. 
and so again, if you, if you put it in those stark contrasts, we're doing okay. It's still not a great situation. And certainly, you know, there's going to be work with vaccine and, and what we need to do to continue to make ourselves safe, protect the population, protect our healthcare workers. But we're nowhere near what the situation was 100 years ago where um, just just total devastation, just just radical changes. And yet they at that time, again, they, they were having both this awful um, pandemic and a war going on at the same time. And then you get into the 20s and 30s, like like life will continue. Life finds a way. Yeah, it reminds me an awful lot of the quote from George Santayana, who says those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I think often as as human beings, it's that piece of it's it's 100 years ago. So no one remembers. Literally, no one is alive. No one remembers. But I think it is that piece that historians would remind us about the importance of knowing that anything that happens in human history, in all likelihood, it's happened before. And can we take those lessons and even even SARS and bird flu from for more recent years? So um, one of the things that I'm asking all guests to share is one thing they're doing right now um, to support their own well-being, perhaps something that brings them joy or a sense of connection. What's what's that thing for you at the moment, John, and, and how are you finding that helps? I think I'm going to cop out and go with three, and I'm going to say family, friends, and food. Family, uh, I've got three lovely little children at home and a wonderful wife, and so making sure I spend time with them just to decompress, uh, enjoy the moment, play lots of Star Wars Lego. Family, definitely. Friends, uh, just making sure you reach out. Social distancing doesn't mean social isolation. And so just making sure you're grounded with your friends, making sure you have a good laugh. And then lastly, food. I try to, it, it sounds terrible, I have a checklist where I make sure I have a piece of fruit every day. Yep, that's all all good advice. I really particularly like that idea of, of social distancing doesn't mean social isolation in that way. But um, is there a final thought that you'd want to leave listeners with, not necessarily about the, the, the work, your work that we've described, but perhaps something in general? You know, these are uncertain times. We've used that phrase a lot, too. Um, I look to the World War II veterans who were through, you know, it's almost 80, 100 years ago, the things that they had gone through. And they, they had gone through five years of very odd times and they came out through the other side and so i think of that where this too shall pass it's it's rough times right now but working together supporting each other doesn't matter if you're a student a doctor whatnot we're all in this together this is the only pandemic you can actually see unfold in real time because of the internet and so the things we're learning the things we're taking away from it the things we're doing to provide to others um i think we're all in this together and we'll, we'll get out on the other side Thank you so much, John. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. I, I know you uh, have lots of appointments and other things to attend to and lots of family things going on. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you for asking. Thanks for listening to the Be Well at USAS podcast with me, Peter Headley. And thanks again to John Matic for joining me and sharing. Students can connect with John and the rest of the Student Wellness Centre team through the contact details and links in the down bar. Please check in again for further episodes and more content related to being well. Please subscribe and share this podcast. You can find us on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We'd also love to hear from you, so please post comments and questions, and we'll look to include them in future episodes. Also, if there's someone you'd like to see as a guest or a topic you'd like us to cover, or even a reaction to an episode you want to share, please write to us at bewell.podcast at usask.ca. 
In the next episode, I'm going to be talking to Gary Gable, who's been an associate professor in the Department of Music at the University of Saskatchewan for over 25 years. We're going to be talking about how the COVID-19 situation has affected the creative industries and those that work within them. We're also going to be discussing mental health and the healing and transformative power of music in our lives, both individually and as a shared experience. And as a special treat, Gary is going to be sharing some of that music with us. So until next time, stay safe and be well.